0: Bum bum ba dum, 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 dum 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 bum 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 dum dum bum dum dum bum dum 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 bum dum 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 you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson.
1: I'm Brad Gallixson
0: And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. But in this episode, we are kissing 2021 goodbye with our tongues. <laughs> by talking about our favorite comics of the last year with some of our favorite colleagues of the last year. This is part two of two of the CBCC Best Comics of 2021 Extravaganza Countdown Blowout.
1: That's right. If you want to know what went down on the last one, part one, go to those show notes, click on the link, you will find that episode there. And the categories were Best Digital Release, Best Biographical Comic, Best All Ages Comic, Best Young Adult Comic and Best Number One Issue, Best First Issue.
0: And we got to hear the favorite comics of David Brooke from AIPT, Guido and Rob from Dear Watchers, Dan Gavosden from Amazing Spider Talk, Mike and Jessica from Tencent Takes, and the Bitches on Comics.
1: Yeah! Absolutely honored by their presence and honored by the presence of the maniacs who joined us on this episode for part two. I'm not going to spoil it right now. You can treat it like a surprise or again, you can go to the show notes where you will see links to their Twitter feeds, their podcasts and their websites. Please go visit these folks, celebrate them, uplift their voices. That's our goal in 2022. We're living that Leonard Nimoy quote The more you share, the more you have.
0: Or that Beatles quote, the love you take is equal to the love you make.
1: Also applicable. And yes, we are still watching Get Back on Disney Plus on repeat.
0: Best film of 2021?
1: Not according to my other website, Film School (laughs) Rejects, that declared it officially a docu-series not applicable to my own top 10 list.
0: That's why we have an academy of two. It's (laughs) just you and me high-fiving back and forth about our awesome opinions. Well,
1: that's the thing, right? Like, you know, the way we make these episodes is we find our favorite comics from 2021, and then we just concoct awards to celebrate those comics. So does that mean we're going to close out this episode with the best basketball comic? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does.
0: We don't want to have to stress what shape of our pegs are fitting in what shape of holes. <laughs> we just we just have pegs and clay and we do the best that we can. <laughs> that
1: just, is right. It's just
0: a lot of mushing and squishing.
1: Yeah, I mean, put that on the show poster. <laughs> That's CBCC in a nutshell, or a... A big Play-Doh pile. (laughs) Uh, And don't worry, we are going to have more traditional categories. Best original graphic novel. Writer of the year. Artist of the year. But
0: But I think that we should make it clear that all of these categories, no matter how weighty they sound, are are just made up.
1: Yeah, and it's just Brad and Lisa screaming into a (laughs) microphone and inviting their friends along.
0: But I think that... I think that all award shows are just kind of arbitrary and and made up.
1: Yes, that's true. But why I like award shows, like I obsess over the Oscars. I love the Oscars. And the reason I do is because it creates conversation, right? And when you get to the end of the year, why I love this time period is you just start wading into the pools of everyone's subjective thought and you get to go like, that's crazy. No, that's <laughs> rad. I love it.
0: What I hate about the Oscars, besides other reasons, is that I feel like best picture should be cumulative. It doesn't make sense that you win all of these technical awards and and maybe a best director, maybe best supporting actor, and then somehow you're not the best picture. Uh, yeah. you Like that doesn't. It bothers me. You
1: want math when it's art, Lisa. Like that. Like you. Like you were just saying. You know, none of this matters. It's just us mushing and squishing around, coming up with our own thing, having a conversation with our listeners. That's what's exciting about this episode.
0: I want mushing and squishing to become the new YOLO.
1: I, we we need to open a tea public finally <laughs> and put that on a shirt. Get Elliot Dixon on the phone. We need that art ASAP. Yes. But rolling right into the actual awards. The awards. It's so (laughs) fancy. The coupleys, The the, the mushies and the squishies. The mushies and the squishies. (laughs) And staying in the spirit of wacky categories, let's invite Erin from Girls Talk Comics to name her favorite comic of the year. Hey everyone,
2: this is Erin from Girls Talk Comics, here to tell you about my favorite comic from 2021, or at least what I think was one of the best ones published. Cinnamon from Behemoth definitely ranks high up there for me. Want to know why? Well, the printing quality is pretty freaking sweet. But it's also Victoria Douglas's like a memoir of owning a house cat and learning how to care for the cat and kind of just wondering what's going on in the cat's life. Like Cinnamon just chills all day, but how does she see things? Well, she sees things like epic biker battles and the Mouse toys are little gangs that are trying to steal all of her catnip, and she goes on adventures through the kitchen trying to rescue her stuffies and steal her treats. But then you do have her sweet owner who's just trying to figure it out and is learning how to be a better owner and caretaker of cinnamon. Example in one of the issues, she Gets all wound up over a laser pointer, but then is so stressed out and unsatisfied because there's nothing to kill. Because cats like to do that, and laser pointers aren't solid, so there's you know literally nothing for cinnamon to sink her teeth in. So cinnamon's going nuts, and owner is with a friend. Friend teaches her that lesson of get her a stuffy, gets her a toy, solves the problem. Beautiful, cinnamon is happy, owner is happy. It's a wonderful thing. As a new cat mom myself this year, it's been great reading that and seeing that the same struggles that I had learning my kitty's needs are the same struggles like every new cat owner has. Again, Cinnamon from Behemoth Comics uh, by Victoria Douglas other side note is that victoria douglas kind of made it as her like college thesis so it's really cool that it got picked up and is published widely i think there's only three issues out right now by the time this was recorded but it's freaking great find it love it read it have a happy new year
1: Bye bye I love that pick, Aaron. I love it because I had never heard of it before. And that's why I love bringing all these folks onto this episode so that they can say, Brad and Lisa, you need to check out these comics you missed in 2021. So Cinnamon has risen on my to-read pile.
0: Risen like dough, perhaps, or a cake in the oven.
1: You could say that.
0: We're going from best cat comic according to Erin to best food comic according to Brad and Lisa. Well,
1: f- in fairness to Erin, she didn't call *Cinnamon* best cat comic.
0: But it was the best over her best overall comic, which means that it any other cat comics she read can suck it in comparison. Oh, it.
1: sorry, Carl Stevens and Penny. Oh.
0: Penny was great. Maybe Aaron didn't read Penny. Penny
1: was great. And if we had a cat comic category on this episode, we would put Penny right here.
0: Why don't we do it right now? Best cat comic.
1: Penny. Uh, Penny. Yeah, like, okay, so uh, we didn't plan any of this. But what I loved so much about Penny was that It, you know, Carl zeroes in on this cat that lives with him Mm -hmm. and goes right into Penny's brain. And in Penny's brain is this cosmic odyssey.
0: Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Barbie in Sandman with Martin Tenbones?
1: Yes, 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 absolutely. And the way Carl illustrates that comic is very ordinary at first, but as we go through the Stargate or the Catgate, we enter into this really surreal, strange and again, I'm gonna use the word cosmic. It's so interstellar in its adventure with this cat named Penny.
0: This is the most delightful surprise. I didn't know I'd be talking about Penny today, and now I'm fully embracing yeah, it. Yeah,
1: and, and, and yeah, so uh, I, let's see who published Penny. Let's look it up real quick on the Google machine. Ticka, tacka, ticka, Chronicle Books. So, Chronicle Books, they put out Carl Stevens's Penny, and it's this beautiful, Tiny square little digest. Like the format of that comic is also very satisfying. Mm. Yeah. So, Penny, best cat comic of 2021. Oh, maybe, maybe tied with Cinnamon, Aaron's pick as the best comic of 2021.
0: Cat, Cinnamon is definitely the best cat comic we haven't read.
1: Yeah, so we'll allow that. I like how we're now challenging the people we invited on to the podcast. <laughs> Good luck to everyone else who comes after Aaron.
0: <laughs> this is our second episode. We're getting punchy. We're a little punchy. Though we did ruin the beautiful uh, transition I had I from cat comic to food comic. Rising dough. I don't. Re- I'm not really satisfied with our category name for this book, because to me, it is so much more than just a food comic. Sure. But the winner is Yummy, A History of Desserts by Victoria Grace Elliott. Yes, this is another all-ages comic, but for me, it scratches a different itch. It presents itself as one of those like visual encyclopedias, Mm -hmm. but it is, in actuality, a primer in how to engage with a cultural narrative. Mm -hmm. Victoria Grace Elliott is a great artist. She creates all of these beautiful, super cute food sprites, and they're dancing around these cakes and sweet breads and ice cream. But really, she's talking about how like history is mutable. History is just a perspective. And we need a way to teach children. Like you hear a story about who created beignets, Mm -hmm. but that's just somebody's opinion.
1: Yeah. And it's also telling you that when you enjoy a bite of pecan pie, a lot of human history, a lot of human pain and tragedy went into that bite.
0: And I feel like she has created a new... Genre. I would love to for her to take this idea and take it into other realms that will catch children's interest.
1: Beyond food comics.
0: Exactly. Like, I think we need to meet her music sprites. Yes. We need to meet her dance sprites. Yeah. I think that every child should have a sprite telling them that history is.
1: A fiction. Yeah, it's just another story. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we got this book initially, I read it before you, and I, I was like, "Oh, cool! This is a cute food comic for kids. A history of desserts. Lisa's gonna love this." And I did. She's the bake dork. I am. And then I start reading it, and I go, "Oh my god! This book is so much more than a food comic." And I think, "Yummy." A History of Desserts was probably my my most surprising read of 2021. It came out of left field from what I thought it was going to be and just knocked my socks off. I had two cliches in there. Out of left field, (laughs) knocked my socks off. I I can't say any more about this awesome book.
0: I just wanna see it in more people's hands. That's what I want for Yummy.
1: And if you do pick up this book because of this episode, we would love to see photos of you with Yummy.
0: I love that.
1: Let us know what you think of this comic, because it's it really is special. And it is, like Lisa said, beyond a food comic, beyond an all ages comic.
0: I think it's the best cat comic of <laughs> 2021.
1: Yummy is the best cat comic of 2021, absolutely. So going into our next category, we actually have two individuals introducing their favorite comic of 2021 that's actually the same comic. And we have Christian Holub from Entertainment Weekly and Connor Goldsmith from the podcast Cerebro. And it's a comic I adore, but it is also one that Lisa hasn't had a chance yet to read.
0: Can't read them all, friends. I'm gonna read it eventually. I am so behind on X-Men just in general.
1: (laughs) Yeah, spoilers, it's an X title. Although Connor's here, so of course it's an (laughs) X title. Is that a spoiler? I don't know. And if you're familiar with Cerebro at all, you probably know what book they're about to talk about. Uh, So let's just stop talking and let them take it away.
3: Hi, this is Christian Holub from Entertainment Weekly. Before I begin, I just wanted to say that I think there were a lot of great comics in 2021. 2020 was obviously a hard year for most creative industries with the pandemic setting in and all the uncertainty that accompanied that, but... I think things really got better in 2021, and there are so many great stories out there. If you want an in-depth discussion from me about more than one of my favorites, you can look up Entertainment Weekly's list of the best comics of 2021, but for now, I just wanted to highlight one in particular, which is Marvel's Hellions. This was part of the X-Men comics line, which I'm sure anybody listening to this or anybody who pays attention to comics knows. Have really been enjoying a new, renaissance, a new creative renaissance since uh, 2019 when writer Jonathan Hickman and artists Pepe Larraz and R.B. Silva did their House of X Powers of Ten reboot that established a new status quo for mutants. Now they have their own mutant nation called Krakoa and are no longer subject to the whims of human authorities. Last week, actually, or earlier this week, was the publication of the fourth and final issue of Inferno, which is uh, Jonathan Hickman's last X-Men comic for the foreseeable future. He will no longer be writing or show running, managing the X-Office, which I know comic fans have some differing opinions about, but one of the things that I really love about Hellions is it's, it's a testament to how the Krakoa era is so fertile that it doesn't really need Hickman himself... Um, playing out the the different possibilities here. As long as you have writers with interesting ideas and things to say, this story architecture that's been built allows for all kinds of interesting things, and Hellions is my favorite example of it so far. This is a super team book, uh, but as opposed to, you know, something like the X-Men or X-Force, these are not top-line marquee characters in this book. The two most famous characters Havoc and Psylocke are kind of the leaders of their team, but they have their own baggage. Psylocke is Kanan, finally in control of her own body after decades of um, a body swap with Betsy Braddock that was finally resolved. Over, the team is overseen by Mr. Sinister, a longtime villain who, just because he's on the quiet council of mutant leadership, uh, does not make him any less trustworthy. The rest of the team consists of characters like Nanny and the Orphan Maker, Gray Crow... Hellion, um, whose ability to control emotions is low key one of the most dangerous mutant powers at Marvel, I think. And if you don't recognize any of those names, or, or barely any of them, that's totally fine. Neither did I when I started reading Hellions. But by the end, by issue 8, the final and 18th issue, which was published in December, I care about these characters so much. I'd barely heard of Nanny and Orphan Maker before, and now I say I would take a bullet for Nanny because writer Zeb Wells and his artistic collaborators like Steven Segovia and Z. Carlos really flesh out these characters, really give them meaning, um, and now they're some of my favorites, including Kanon, who, as I kind of mentioned, has barely been her own character for most of her publication history. Now she not only is, but thanks to Helen, she's one of my favorite X-Men characters around. Uh, they, they, mine so much interesting stuff with her. There's a lot of great character beats over the course of 18 issues, and there's a lot of interesting thematic material as well. The way that I always describe Hellions is that it's basically asking the question, is there a place in paradise for the haters and losers? These characters are all misfits. They're not noble or famous, and if you're, if the X-Men are just a superhero team, they can ignore them, they can put them in jail, whatever. But now mutants are a society. How does a society deal with things like this? What does forgiveness look like? And justice? And how can people make up for the horrible things they've done in the past? These are all things that Hellions deals with while also providing really cool art, um really awesome plot stuff. There's seeds planted early on that pay off later. There's great plot twists. Uh, Over the course of these 18 issues, there's really a beginning, middle, and end. I believe there's a complete collection that'll be available uh, next summer that I definitely want to buy myself and, and recommend anybody else to keep an eye on, because I think it's such a great story in and of itself, even as it's happened alongside these other Krakoa stories. And There's new characters too. Um, Anybody who's read last year's crossover Ten of Swords knows that Krakoa's lost half Arako is now back in the light and brings with it a bunch of mutant characters. The Hellions basically encounter their opposite, Arako's haters and losers, the Locust Vile, who are fascinating and kind of horrifying new characters. So there's lots of awesome stuff in Hellions, um, and I like repping for it because I just want to make sure that it gets the same attention that, say, the the mainstream flagship X-Men books do, because I really think it's worth checking out and is a testament to just the creative energy of the X-Office these days. Thanks, I look forward to hearing everybody else's picks.
4: Hi, everybody. This is Connor Goldsmith, host of Cerebro. Thanks to the team at Comic Book Couples Counseling for asking me to participate in this roundup. This was hard because I really love pretty much everything coming out of the X-Men office at the moment. Picking a favorite favorite took me a second, but on balance, it was hard not to select Hellions by Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia, plus some fill-in artists, as my favorite series of the year. It is now complete at eighteen issues. Zeb Wells, I think, is one of the most talented writers in big two comics today. Everything he does has a real generosity of spirit. He is so skilled at weaving old continuity into new stories in such a way that new readers don't feel overwhelmed by it, and he has such respect and care for every character that he writes. I was blown away by his revolutionary takes on villain characters who had previously been somewhat flat or one-dimensional a lot of the time, even if they were fun, like John Gray Crow, or particularly Nanny and the Orphan Maker. These characters are now major X-Men characters with tons of fans, which is not something I would have told you was possible before Hellions. I also think Hellions, as a book, did incredible, incredible work with three characters I love who I think have often been mistreated by the narrative or disregarded by the narrative, and that's Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen, of course, But also Kanon, now Psylocke, formerly Revolche back in the day, and Havoc, a character who I adore, but who's really been through it. Their arcs throughout this book are extraordinary. I think Kanon has become an A-list X-Men character, and I can't wait to see what comes next for her. I just love this book. It has so much heart. It asks big questions about Krakoa. It asks big questions about love and morality. I cannot recommend it more wholeheartedly. I also would be remiss if I didn't recommend my favorite single issue of the year, which ties into Hellions, which is Excalibur 19 by Teeny Howard and Marcus Toe. Excalibur is my other favorite book of the year, but Teeny is a close friend of mine and we work together. So people know I'm biased on this one, but as a lifetime Betsy Braddock fan and someone who loved Canon in the 90s and was disappointed with how her story went, It is so gratifying to see both of these powerful female characters coming into their own as unique heroes who are connected, but not conflated. The other half of the Conan and Betsy story is in Excalibur 19 and 20. So check that out if you're interested in those characters. Zeb, thank you so much for Hellions. It means the world to me as a lifelong fan of these characters. And you might get me reading Spider-Man now, which is not something I ever thought I was going to do seriously. Thanks, everybody. This has been Connor from Cerebro, cerebrocast.com.
1: How incredible is that celebration of Hellions from Christian and Connor? Lisa, if that doesn't convince you to pick up Hellions, nothing will.
0: Hey, my future always included Hellions. And yes, Christian and Connor have added some extra fire to that, a little bit more urgency. But, uh, Nothing thrives under the shade, Brad. I'm
1: sorry, I'm sorry. I may be feeling a little guilty because spoilers for the rest of this episode, but we have not highlighted in our awards any Krakoa-related comic books, which is a first for comic book couples counseling. And it feels like a crime because Hellions is so good.
0: And now, like, Dan Gavazdin last episode, waxing poetic about Zeb Wells, like, I gotta get into that. Yeah,
1: like, the Hellions comic is a lot like James Gunn's recent The Suicide Squad remake, remake or sequel or whatever we wanna call it, where you have all these like broken human beings, all these troubled, disturbed characters coming together. And by the end of that film, you sort of realize like, well, what's that Rat Catcher 2 line where she's recalling her dad's uh, words about if there's a purpose for these lowly rats, then there's a purpose for all of us. Like that's that's what Hellions is sort of dancing around to. Zeb Wells is just so good at marrying the humor with that deep emotion, Mm. but sorry, not sorry, Hellion's not on the (laughs) list and will not be named our best ongoing comic series of 21, which is the category we're now moving into.
0: And what we, Brad and Lisa, consider an ongoing comic may be a little bit of a hot take. Uh,
1: Yeah, I did put out some feelers on Twitter, what people would think if we named this next title the Best Ongoing Series, because technically it's not a monthly ongoing series, and we did get some pushback, but this is our show, not your show.
0: M&S, Mushin' and Squishin'. Mushin'
1: and Squishin'. So our Best Ongoing Series of 2021 is Reckless from Sean Phillips, Ed Brubaker, and Jacob Phillips. And only two graphic novels came out in 2021, Friend of the Devil and Destroy All Monsters. But it's going to continue. It is ongoing. We technically have
0: technically a series.
1: Multiple books in our future. So we are calling it an ongoing series. <laughs> like the Parker books, the that serve as inspiration for Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Those were You know, you can go to the bookstore and there's like a little continuing series section at the end of mystery. That's where you would find those. That's where you would find Reckless. So it tracks.
0: So our our awards.
1: And Lisa, I am a little surprised that it is on our list because I was not expecting you to love Reckless as much as I did. But
0: it kind of well, the reason is uh, the covers kind of look like the covers of. The books my dad would pick <laughs> at the airport. He's like, I need a Grisham to get me.
1: Uh, <laughs> this it's not, it looks better than a Grisham cover. Yeah. But, but it is like very pulpy. I mean, it is like a traditional, like dad book kind of cover because it's recalling things like Parker and the destroyer books and and stuff that you will find on Leo Marrier's shelf.
0: <laughs> but um The reason this ended up in my hands is that for Christmas, my oh, brother yeah. and sister-in-law sent us one of those to catch a killer boxes. Yes. And I got a taste for crime fighting. Yes. And yes. I was like, I feel like solving some more mysteries. And Brad's like, Have I got the book for you?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have read Brewbaker and Phillips in the past, Bad Weekend, you mm-hmm, adored I that really graphic liked that novel. One. And so you, like, it's not like totally outside your normal taste. But it's
0: not like something I would pick up like fun book.
1: Right, right. Where Whereas like Brew Baker and Phillips, you know, if there was ever a Brad book, mm-hmm. they make Brad books, right? Uh, and so, yeah, I'm over the moon that we're talking about this. Why do we love Friend of the Devil and Destroy All Monsters as much as we do?
0: First and foremost, I really like Ethan Reckless, despite his name, as our hapless hero because he does solve these mysteries, but he—it's like it's like he's fueled by the heat of his own mistakes.
1: (laughs) He's just
0: tripping his way forward to the end of this book.
1: And what I love as you progress through the series is you realize what a profound impact Anna is having on these stories and how successful she is, at the job that he should be. Does that make sense? Like he, She is the better investigator in a lot of ways, but he just keeps on going. And that's like the most important thing with a film noir character, is they just keep on going.
0: Perhaps because he is a reckless individual.
1: <laughs> yes, Lisa, yes. Uh, and I'm, we're not gonna spoil anything about these books. If you have not read them, you gotta go read them. But I do think where Destroy All Monsters goes towards the end, I was shocked yes. by. The, the the climax of this book really pulled the rug out from under me, and I thought I was reading kind of like a noir, hard-boiled pastiche, and yes, it is that, but it also might not actually be that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm very curious what the next book is going to be. Where yeah. is this story going? Yeah. For
0: for me it was like um you read the end of Destroy All Monsters and you go Oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like this. Let's keep reading.
1: <laughs> I think I was more like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I understand why your reaction would be l- like that. And I also just want to say, like, Jacob Phillips as the colorist since he's come on to color his dad's pencils, I wasn't sure at first. And, you know, it, it happened before Reckless. They they partnered, I think, on um the Junkies book. I'm missing the whole title in my head right now. The book that they did before Bad Weekend. And, but the, the, the color scheme on the Reckless books and, you know, Pulp and uh, Bad Weekend and all my friends were junkies or whatever that was called, it's a little more... Uh, emotion driven than the previous coloring of Brubaker and Phillips books. And I really like how the colors are a little bit in conflict with the noir tone, like the, the noir tone that is established in criminal. And this is more about like, how are these characters feeling? And this is what it looks like through that feeling.
0: I hear what you're saying, but I'm not sure that I agree because like to me noirs are in black and white. So I feel like Yeah. Like having emotional expressionistic colors is actually more like the noir. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 because it it does, like, you know, if you look at the best noirs and and how they embrace German expressionism, they do that because of the emotional spectrum. Yeah, you're right, you're right.
0: And, like, it's like when you watch a noir, you project the color from within yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't, it's, uh, the long and short of it is. We love the colors. Love the colors. Jacob Phillips is kicking butt. I, I would also take this opportunity to say that we gotta discuss that Texas blood at some point. I think that comic would be a great comic to cover on the sessions yeah. of comic book couples counseling. Some really interesting relationships there. Uh, and Jacob Phillips as a penciler is not an imitation of his father in any way. Uh, and it's it's so exciting to see how... That Texas Blood and Reckless and the criminal books are sort of like parallel with each other, but splintering too. Uh, and then Jacob Phillips also did with Chip Zdarsky and uh, Newbern, mm-hmm. uh this past year. And I think only two issues of that are out, but also incredible comics, incredible comics.
0: And also an ongoing series. And
1: also an ongoing series, that's right. Uh, So Reckless, Best Ongoing Series of 2021. And now we got to talk about our next category, which is Best Original Graphic Novel, which Reckless doesn't count as. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, And to help us transition into that category is Chris Arendt from Newsarama.
5: Hello, everyone, and especially Brad and Lisa, who I thank for inviting me to do this. This is Chris Arendt, longtime comics journalist and longer time comics fan. My favorite comic of 2021 was Barry Windsor Smith's Monsters graphic novel, published by Fanta Graphics. I've been anticipating this story to come out since the early 2000s and had largely labeled this as a mythical project that would never, ever come out. But then it did, and it was better than even I had hoped. Mr. Windsor Smith's slightly ambient story is counterpointed by his iconic and very deliberate illustration style to deliver a Rockwellian view of superhero comics. I say superhero, but what I really mean is superpowered. Although the two terms are related, monsters is has more in common with a, a Frankenstein's monster than it does with Captain America. But it works by stretching to encompass both of these and more uh, Monster works so well for me is, it, is that it's very bold in its choices both with story and art and that kind of unique uh, writer artist uh, uh, synthesis without showing any uh, wavering in this not being anything but a very distinctly Barry Windsor Smith work There's a lot of confidence in the work, and it really shows through. Um, In my uh, write-up of Monsters for Newsarama's Best Comics of 2021 list, I framed this as the graphic novel equivalent to that uh, lofty ideal of the great American novel that they talk about. Um, Monsters is what I would say is the great American uh, graphic novel. One of, but one of the
0: greats. Monsters is a lot of book. It yeah. is heavy both physically and emotionally. But it it's also kind of a miracle that it exists. I uh,
1: absolutely. I mean Barry Windsor Smith, one of the all-time great one of like a legend, a living legend. Mm-hmm. This is a comic you never thought you were ever going to actually see and hold in your hands and then here it is. It's it's this it's this monster And like, I don't know if my emotions could take it. It was so much. Extremely good. Definitely one of the best comics of 2021. Not our pick for best original graphic novel, though, because that's not where our headspace was this year. You know, maybe if I was reading it in the 90s, I would have been all about it. But in 2021, I just could not take it.
0: We've decided to go with a new discovery, a new creator that we are absolutely just gaga over.
1: Yeah. Junie Ba and his Jalea from TKO Studios, a comic we were not anticipating in any way other than it being a TKO release. And we kind of love that company and what they are doing with the graphic novel art form. So we were excited about that. But Junie Baugh was so unfamiliar to us. We read Jalea and it, it felt like one of those moments where you know, what it must have felt like when you were watching 2001 A Space Odyssey for the first time in 1968. Like, oh, I'm changed a little bit. The art form is changed a little bit. What is going to happen in the future with this talent? Like, you're in love with Julia, but you're even more in love with the idea of what's coming next, which the first issue of Monkey Meat has dropped from Image Comics, and it's insanely good.
0: I am a sucker, for a story that is about telling stories. Mm. Awa, at the center of this book, is a jelly, so her job is to keep the narrative alive, and throughout the story, she's kind of trying to figure out, like, well, who am I serving with this superpower of mine? Like, who does the narrative really belong to?
1: And witnessing her redirect her power as a means of serving more. You know, speaking of what I needed in 2021, what I needed to see, I needed to see that story. And it was just such an affirmative experience on top of Junie Ba's cartooning being so familiar through its influences. You know, we had an interview with Junie Ba on this podcast talking about his love of Cartoon Network as a child, and Dexter's Laboratory is certainly there in the line work as are so many other things. And in that cauldron of influences uh, is something incredibly new. inventive, it's inventive and revelatory.
0: It really is just a perspective change. Like Junie Ba is a Senegalese writer, creator, cartoonist who grew up on the same television that we did, but from a completely different place. Yeah. And just like standing in a different place but looking at the same mountain it's going to look completely different to you and uh, to me it just reaffirms like that we need to be searching for people who are looking at where look what we're looking at from a different place.
1: Totally, totally. Julia is a gauntlet drop. Mm. And uh, let's let's see where we go from here. Uh, so, TKO Studios, Jalea, uh Monkey Meat, Image Comics, Junie Ba. We will follow Ba anywhere. He's doing, Lisa. I haven't even mentioned this to you Ninja Turtle comic. I know. He's, oh, you do? I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, very cool. Like, oh my God, a Ninja Turtle comic from Junie Ba. Totally
0: like such a great fit. Yeah,
1: so good. I'm very, so good. very excited. Uh, so, that is our pick for best original graphic novel of 2021. And now going into our next category, we have Kat Kalamia.
6: Hey guys, this is Kat Kalamia, the creator of By Visibility, Slice Life, Like Father Like Daughter, and they call her The Dancer. And I am so happy to be on one of my favorite comic book podcasts to talk about one of my favorite books of this year. And I feel like this is a book that's been on many people's lists, but I just have to shout it out to the rooftops and that is Nightwing. I've been a hardcore Bat Family fan my whole entire life, and to have a book that purely loves the Bat Family, it's not just about Nightwing, it's about Tim, it's about Barbara and their connection, it really means the world to me. And to have a creative team such as Tom and and Bruno, who worked on such titles as Injustice Gods Among Us and Suicide Squad... And, and them shedding their love to how much they, they care about these characters every month, uh, showcasing that on Nightwing, has been such a pleasure. And already we've had such a, experimental issues, like the, the full-on scene uh, that was just the latest issue of Nightwing, uh, which was so creative. And then just some more powerful issues, like the kiss between Nightwing and Barbara and, and, you know, Nightwing's relationship with Alfred and just the emotional beats that are hit through script and, and visuals. It's just so good. This book and every month really doesn't disappoint. So if you haven't checked out Nightwing, go check out that book.
0: Cat Kalamia, I am feeling so close to you right now. I'm feeling such, we are simpatico. We are synchronistic. I don't know if it's like a hormonal thing or what, but your 2021 pick is very closely related to our pick for the next category.
1: Which is best single issue of 2021, and it is Nightwing 87, the big, long take, like the single panel issue. The storytellers are Tom Taylor and Bruno Rodondo, colors by Adriana Lucas, letters by Wes Abbott, This is basically like the long take that opens Touch of Evil or the car chase sequence in Children of Men, the Alfonso Cuaron movie.
0: That's funny that to you, you get Cuaron, because to me, I get like family circus, like (laughs) Billy's (laughs) on a walk with like the dotted line. Sure,
1: sure. I mean- You know, what I love about comics is that you can really do anything with them, but I do think that sometimes we become a prisoner to traditional formulas, and what you see here, what uh, Redondo does in Nightwing 87 is push what sequential storytelling can be and how it can be delivered in a floppy comic book.
0: He's literally thinking Outside of the box.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. My only complaint about it is that DC did not publish... A version of this comic that I could just stretch out on the wall of our room.
0: Brad and I actually discussed buying two <laughs> more copies of the issue so that we could tape it together. And,
1: and, and is would it only require two more copies? Like Well, because
0: we don't want to ruin this one.
1: Oh, we have to keep one. <laughs> we have and, to keep
0: one, one for keeping.
1: And right, right, and, and then, one
0: for crafting. What makes this comic so refreshing? is that it is literally just pure momentum and fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a total blast. It absolutely matches the tone of the rest of the series. It doesn't feel like a gimmick comic in any way. It doesn't come out of left field. It feels totally natural within the rhythm of what they are already building within the ongoing. I do wonder what it would be like to take this format and use in different tones. like. This is just pure fun, it it, it accentuates the momentum, but could you accentuate the anxiety? Like, could you do a really scary comic this way?
0: I'm hoping that people, now that they have seen this format, do not shy away from it because it's been done. I would love to see this ripped off by a bunch of other series, because I think that it's a really valuable tool, actually.
1: Amen to that. Now, Lisa. We are entering my favorite category of this episode.
0: How could that be possible? We have already done favorite cat comics.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'll show you. I'll show you how it's possible, Lisa.
0: Jeez, Brad, back off. I will not. I will (laughs) not
1: back off uh, because I've got some really cool people about the chat. It's the Comics Collective podcast.
7: Yeah. Hello, comic book couples counseling, and thank you so much for having us on the show. We are the Comics Collective. I'm Dallas,
8: I'm Alexis,
9: and I'm Anne,
7: and today we're here to talk about our favorite comic book of 2021.
9: Yeah, and our favorite comic book of 2021, we had to sit down because there were so many good comics in 2021, but we came to the collective decision that we would name our favorite comic, Drumroll Please, The Many Deaths of Layla Starr, by Ram V and Andrande Felipe. And it's one of the books that just like stuck out to me so well. It's one of the only books that actually made me like cry this year, which takes a lot to do. That emotional weight in this writing is so fantastic. And it's such a unique story too. It's the story of a God who finds out that, hey, you're going to be out of a job soon because one of these humans is about to discover the cure to the only thing you're good at, death. So sucks to suck. Enjoy earth. See you later. And she gets sent down to live a human life, which, you know. Game fired is never fun, but fortunately, big brain time, if she kills the person who's going to beat death, then, like, death is still going to exist and she can get her job back. So, light bulb, we're moving, and suddenly the story that takes one, one turn turns into something else as she starts going through life alongside this person she wants to kill and starts looking at all of life from a perspective she was never able to see before his death. And she goes on this long journey, not just with herself, but with these other people and starts to really come to a new appreciation of what being human is all about. And it reaches this really great emotional climax that is just unparalleled by anything else that came out this year.
8: oh, Such a good intro. Good job, Anne. Thank you. But I'm going to go a little bit into detail with how we get such a fun look into a mythology type book with this. Um, we get a look into a few specific um, Hindu gods within this comic and I'm going to talk a-, a teeny bit about a few of them. But as Anne has mentioned, we are our main character, Layla Star slash death herself. She is kicked out of the theoretical business in heaven, which I think is the funniest thing in the world. It's run like a business. And we get to see her basically get her immortality revoked. And we see her go through life as now having to die. And we also get this interesting look at another god named Prana. And I apologize if I mention or say that wrong Um, but we get this interesting dynamic with the two of them of him bringing her back every single time to help her along her little journey so it's a really fun kind of new look that I feel like we don't get a lot so um, yeah I think it's a really fun little bit of mythology in there that you guys should all check out
7: and finally the artwork from Philippe Andrade is incredible with this Weird, wobbly, incredibly colorful work. Philippe Andrade sells a world that you and I have never been to, but you're going to want to be at. There are issues from the point of view of a cigarette. There are plenty of ethereal, crazy scenes that are rendered perfectly that really wraps up this series as a whole. It's easily our favorite comic book of 2021, and we think you should check it out just like all the rest on this lumpy list. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
1: Hard to argue with that selection. It's an incredible comic book series. And I just love that the Comics Collective podcast collected themselves, came together to celebrate one specific title with each person taking an element that they loved.
0: They went fully hive mind and delivered a super tight clip. I feel like they were the kind of student who was like, yes, an essay question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And why they fall here in this episode is because they're the ones who invited us onto their podcast to give them a clip naming our favorite comic book series of 2021. And that's what we're gonna do right now, although we're calling this Best Limited Series of 2021. But you should also know that it is also Brad and Lisa's collective pick for the best Comic book of 2021. Shall we attempt one of those drum rolls, Lisa? But this time you take it. I don't know when to come in. (laughs) Beta Ray Bill, Arden Star from Marvel Comics, written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson and colored by Mike Spicer. Here's the deal. If Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer make a comic book, that comic book will be our favorite comic book of the year. That's right. Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, Murder Falcon. There is something about their collaboration that just reaches into our soul and squeezes.
0: I feel like Daniel Warren Johnson has this talent for finding the relatable piece where he mm. looks at Beta Ray Bill, who is so extraordinary in so many ways, and goes like, Do you know what he has going on in there? Imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, feels like he's second fiddle, feels mm-hmm. like he's not attractive. We've all felt that sometime. Let me just take. The, the knobby part of my elbow and just lean on that. Yeah, it
1: hurts. for me, it's that conversation that's occurring between his art and his storytelling because Daniel Warren Johnson's illustration looks unlike anyone else out there, right? It's incredibly kinetic. It's rad. It's metal as hell. It's gnarly. It's so cool. But then he comes in like a rope dope and he hits you with what you're talking about. Like, the true emotional content of Beta Ray Bill matches the badass quality of that art. And I I really don't feel like there is another creator out there that pulls this particular feat off.
0: His pointy sword is vulnerability.
1: Yeah, and it's pointy as hell, and it looks cool.
0: (laughs) I keep thinking about, was it ta Coates who was like, I would like, don't kill a character. Yes. I would ma- rather take an arm. Yes. Like, I feel like what Daniel Warren Johnson manages to do in a story is something deeper than taking an arm. Yes. Like, to me, in my head canon, Beta Ray Bill is forever changed. He right. has emotionally, spiritually been through something, and is fully transformed.
1: And that's what makes Beta Ray Bill different than Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, and Murder Falcon, because you get to the end of those storylines, and the same is true. Those characters are changed, but it feels like in those books you hit an ending, Mm -hmm. but Beta Ray Bill, there is no ending, and when it leaves Beta Ray Bill, I mean, it leaves him in a very tricky and precarious place.
0: I feel so sorry for the next person who touches this character.
1: Exactly. And you know it's not going to be Daniel Warren Johnson. And I don't think I feel comfortable with anyone touching Beta Ray Bill now that Daniel Warren Johnson has left his mark on him. But I guess I gotta get over that. And also like, you know, if there were no other Beta Ray Bill stories going forward, even though this tale leaves the character in a question mark, mm-hmm. it's still a pretty solid ending to this particular narrative. So I don't know if I necessarily worry what happens next and they can mess it up and that's okay because I have this perfect jewel here and the ending just becomes this thing that I will ponder on uh, as, as the question mark that it is.
0: I see myself going back and revisiting Beta Ray Bill maybe maybe this year, maybe many years from now. And it's it's going to be a story that lives with me and changes with me.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think a lot about, I think I've already referenced this movie on this episode, 2001, A Space Odyssey, right? When you watch that film in high school, it's one thing. And then you watch it in college, it's another. Then you watch it in your late 20s and your 30s and, uh, dare I say, your 40s now. And it's a totally different movie than the first time you watched it because the eyes watching it have changed. And I think that's also what Daniel Warren Johnson does. Those are the types of comics that he excels at.
0: Clearly, clearly we love it. And it makes it hard to transition to <laughs> some someone else we truly love. And that is Zach Quayton's of Comics Bookcase.
1: Yes, and he is igniting the ending, the climax of this episode as we move into our last two categories, Writer of the Year and Artist of the Year.
0: Last two categories, not counting Favorite Basketball Comic <laughs> and maybe one more.
10: We can't stop celebrating comics! Hey all, this is Zach Quainance with Comics Bookcase. Um, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm going to fudge the rules just a little bit here and pick two favorite comics of the year. Uh, The first of which is The Nice House on the Lake from uh, James Tinian and Alvaro Martinez Bueno. And the second is The Department of Truth, also by James Tinian, um, this time with Martin Simmons. Uh, I'm picking these because I think they sort of function as companion pieces about the state of the country uh, these days. With um, Nice House on the Lake, uh, which, by the way, features one of the best debut issues of 2021, uh, if not in in recent memory, is to me kind of a metaphor about uh, what it's like to weather the pandemic with a little bit of privilege. To be in a nice house to have everything you need delivered, to not really have to go anywhere as the world sort of implodes. Um, And the story kind of goes from there, what the implications are. While Department of Truth is a look at what happens when conspiracy theories have the momentum and sort of cultural cachet they need to proliferate and start to seriously influence the real world, as we've also seen in this time. I think if you kind of take both of these together, it's a really interesting, timely reading experience uh, that ranks as kind of my favorite uh, monthly comics thing of 2021.
1: Two really good picks. Actually, Mike from Ten Cent Takes on our last episode also selected Nice House on the Lake as his favorite book of 2021. And it is a wonderful comic book. And James Tinian makes a strong play for writer of the year.
0: Unfortunately for him, I don't know who's going to break it to him. I,
1: like, here's the deal: like, this category of all the categories in this episode, in these two episodes, Lisa and I struggled the most with writer of the year because so many people made so many wonderful comics. Jeff Lemire, mm-hmm. all right, very close to taking this award for us. Robin and Batman, Primordial, Maze Book, yeah. um, uh, like the, the, oh, oh, all his Black Hammer stuff. It, just incredible work coming from Jeff Lemire. We didn't give it to Jeff Lemire either.
0: Nobody tell him, nobody (laughs) break it to Jeff.
1: Please don't, don't tell Jeff Lemire. Very close though, second place? Yeah. Silver, Uh, but the (laughs) the, the writer we ended up giving this award to is somebody who has created comics that we've covered on our main show multiple times, one of our all time favorites. I would say that like in the last few years, Maybe we haven't loved every title that they've produced, but this year, like for the most part, every comic was a banger.
0: What do we do? Do we drum roll again? I feel like it's been played out. No,
1: we cannot do two drum rolls in one episode. I think we just say it. We just blurt it out. It's Tom King.
0: Yeah! It is a literal high five of titles. Rorschach, Batman Catwoman, Strange Adventures, Human Target. Supergirl.
1: And it's those last yeah. two titles in particular, which are not actually done, that really just like took Tom King over the top. And I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Rorschach, a title that I was not excited about, especially coming off of the HBO Watchmen series, which had already shocked me at like, how can you do a sequel to Watchmen and it be anything good, let alone great, and then David Lindelof's show proved me wrong. And I said, well, they certainly couldn't do that a second time with the Rorschach series, but I became so invested in that investigation, I found it really thrilling. And the ending, I think, is quality, and I would point people to the Polygon article that they wrote a few weeks ago about it to show you what that comic did that was so unique and surprising and of the moment?
0: But really what put Tom King over the top was the one two punch well also strange adventures. we really like strange adventures. We're gonna cover it on the podcast. yeah,
1: and because it's such an emotional sequel to Mr. Miracle.
0: But what we loved and are loving because they're not done yet is human target and Supergirl. So we have to talk about like we have to talk about one and then the other, right? So human target. It's another take on noir, which is an interesting pair with Reckless. Yeah. Because I feel like Reckless is like gritty noir. And And this is
1: superhero noir.
0: It's sexy noir.
1: And it is sexy.
0: Greg Smallwood's art, so slick.
1: There's something in it that reminds me of Darwin Cook. Mm -hmm. And it's not his illustration necessarily. It's his paneling. It's how those panels play with lettering. It recalls the Parker comics.
0: It's also about fluency of an era. It looks so perfectly of a time, especially considering it's an like the artist is anachronistic of that time. Sure. But back to Tom King, I just get the sense from his writing that he has considered everything, yeah. and he is laying out the little pieces so strategically and you feel like you have to read so closely because you don't want to be the person who misses something
1: uh, and and it does read a little bit like an Agatha Christie thing mm-hmm. right where you do see or sense breadcrumbs being laid but for me with human target that second issue mm-hmm. with ice yes you're spending all this time with her and you know chance appears to be like falling head over heels for her. And spoilers for the last page of Human Target number two. Skip 10 seconds, all right? Or 15 seconds or whatever the button is. (laughs) The last page reveals that he believes Ice is the killer. And the way Tom King drops that there, I, I should have seen it coming. Because it's a noir. Right, but oh my God, I didn't see it coming. And of course it's that. And it's just... So satisfying, you just cannot wait to get to that third issue.
0: Human Target is such an interesting character because deception is his thing, Yeah, you know? So, like, as the reader, you totally take for granted that he is schmoozing you and he is... Not to be trusted. He is an unreliable narrator, and he wormed his way into my heart.
1: Yeah, very satisfying. And then on the other spectrum, Mm -hmm. you have Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow.
0: Where she is all about trust. You trust her so completely.
1: Yeah, and when this comic initially came out, a lot of people were like, well, this is just true grit. And like, okay, I see that. I see that there might be some true grit influence. But as the story progresses, really all Tom King has done is taken that skeleton of that novel slash film, and then he has wrapped this incredible, incredible emotional experience in this crazy science fiction canvas illustrated supernaturally by Bilquis Evely.
0: When we meet Supergirl in issue one, she is already exhausted, and she is just trying to catch a break Mm -hmm. and feel a buzz and detach, and then Ruthie enters her life, and, and Supergirl has this compulsion, she has this mission to be of service, and Ruthie doesn't have any other options, so they go on this adventure together, and Ruthie really wants to wield a sword and help and and be strong, but when you have a Supergirl, (laughs) all you can do is just go limp so she can fly with you. And we watch Supergirl be emotionally taxed be physically drained and where we're with her in the sixth issue she is soul tired she is she is tired down to her very essence and yet she needs to keep going and she she is like and it's in times like this like we are so aware of the people we are relying on as a culture and as a society too much. And we know that it is not fair. And like, like it must be so hard to be hyper capable and generous.
1: And what I love about that sixth issue is it gives us this insight as to why she wants to serve and why she needs to serve. And we were talking about Jalea just a little while ago, And how Awa's story is all about redirecting your power to where it is needed. And that's the same thing that's going on in Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. And I find it to be incredibly inspirational. And Jalea feels like a 2021 book, a 2022 book. And Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow feels like a 2022 book, right? But not in a way like Rorschach is a 2022 book, or the film Don't Look Up, which I just watched the other night. This is not a cynical story. It's not about satirizing the absurd world that we are occupying. It's about injecting hope, and it's about highlighting the humanity that is out there working and trying every day. And that's the type of storytelling I I need right now, and I, 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 I'm overwhelmed by how good Supergirl is and how much it fills my love tank.
0: But there are still two more issues of this comic. <laughs> right. And something has got to give.
1: Yes, because
0: yes. Because we are approaching a breaking point for Supergirl. And, and I don't think this is going to get any easier.
1: Yeah, I am nervous. Where is this story going? I need a hopeful book. Will it give me the hopeful ending? I say it will, because it's a Supergirl story.
0: I just don't see this ending in a spa day. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do know what you mean. Uh, But I think we got to put the button on writer of the year. Tom King, golf clap, you know, (laughs) just like tremendous work in 2021. If I was
0: wearing a hat,
1: tipping it. we would tip it. We would tip it. So for our final category of the episode or our kind of sort (laughs) of final category of the episode, we are bringing on our final guest of the episode, Nathan Simmons from AIPT Comics, naming his favorite book, Of 2021.
11: Hi there. This is Nathan from the AIPT Comics podcast. A few weeks back, my co host David and I actually covered some of our favorite single issues of the year, but there's a story that I I didn't get a chance to talk about that um, has really resonated with me and stuck with me throughout the year. It's a story by Daniel Warren Johnson called Generations, which is in Superman Red and Blue number five. In this story, which is set shortly after Clark arrives on Earth as a baby, Jonathan Kent goes to see a preacher to tell him that he is lost. Jonathan's not sure he has anything to offer his son, his little family, and he's not really sure where to turn. And in response, the preacher tells him to remind his son every day how much he cares for him. And so Jonathan over the years imparts uh, a repeated message to Clark almost like a uh, a mantra of you are special, I love you, and I'm so proud of you. And as the story closes, Superman now fully grown and having said his goodbye to Jonathan repeats the mantra he heard so often from his father. We see Superman looking after the sick and the scared, the downtrodden, and the lonely. And it ends with him looking down at the whole of the earth, saying once more, you are special, I love you, and I am so proud of you. The reason that this story has stuck with me, beyond Johnson's beautiful pencils uh, and sparing colors and just depth of emotion uh, and, and and spirit, is I struggle with severe anxiety and depression. And I I know that's not a unique experience, but I go days and sometimes even weeks when all I feel like I can do is exist. And this story came along at the exact right time during one of my extremely isolating periods of depression. And uh, as I mentioned previously on the AIPT podcast... To have Superman tell me that he was proud of me uh, was something I really needed. Not only did this story remind me of my own father, who's never given up on me, but it gave me a kind of hope and warmth that I'd almost forgotten comics were capable of. Uh, And for that, I, I can't think of anything better that you should seek out. (laughs) Uh, This is a a weird time to be in the world and to care about other people. Um, But if you're listening to this, and you're having a really difficult time, let me tell you something. You are a superhero for making it this far and still being kind. My words might not have the same weight as Superman's, but allow me to say this. You are special, I love you, and I am so proud of you. Thank you again to Brad and Lisa for having me on the show. And thank you guys for comic book couples counseling. This is such a bright, beaming light in a uh, very cynical world. So uh, I, I appreciate being able to tune in and listen to you guys every single week. And now I'm on it. Holy shit.
0: I am just so grateful for Nathan's clip and his sharing that about that particular story, like filling a void in his soul that he was feeling in that moment, because I've been thinking about like the function of stories. That's what our podcast about is about, is about how we use stories to learn. But I've been thinking a lot about how humanity as a species would not be this good at stories if our continuation was not, reliant on it.
1: Yeah. It's
0: evolutionary.
1: I love that.
0: And and it's more than an escape or a coping mechanism or like, you know, like something like a nice cozy like a cup of tea and a It's story. food and
1: water. Stories it, are food and water.
0: It's a necessity. It is how we grow. And I think that by talking about it, by by showing stories grace and gratitude, the the more they will continue to serve us.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I I mean that's that is that's our podcast, right? That's what we do on comic book couples counseling every episode, or that's what we strive to do on on every episode. Now you know there's I mean, maybe there's some are better than others. I I'm getting defensive. <laughs> Don't get defensive, Brad. Uh, I, I like clearly. Uh, Lisa and myself are already in the bag for Daniel Warren Johnson, and that particular Superman story also had a tremendous impact on the two of us. I cried while reading Same. it, and then I gave it to Lisa. I was like, <laughs> "Enjoy this cry," and then she cried reading that comic. Uh, I love the anthology series, Superman Red and Blue. I like the Batman black and white. I like the Wonder Woman uh, black and gold. I, th- I love anthologies, and I love what DC is doing with their anthologies. But the Superman Red and Blue is important to me because Superman is an important character to me, and so often, in the longer form, it meanders away from what Superman should be doing. And in the Red and Blue series, it's a creator- trying to figure out like what, what is Superman? What is Superman to us? What is the story of Kal-El to us? Why do we need him? And, you know, they execute it. And Daniel Warren Johnson doing what he does so well, uh, as we discussed on Beta Ray Bill, he does that to Superman. And that is like an atom bomb of emotion. And it's only like a handful of pages. And it just makes you go like, okay, like. Maybe I want another Superman story. Like, maybe I want a proper Superman story from Daniel Warren Johnson, but can he do any better than that story?
0: He might be able to do different, but he can't do any better.
1: Yeah, because it's perfection. It's a 10 out of 10. Eleven. It's, it's 11. It's 11 out of 10.
0: One of the knee-jerk Superman opinions is, well, he's so strong. He's got all of the powers. But this story is saying, like, his strength is not what we need. His fire... Eyes are not what we need. (laughs) fire
1: eyes, yeah.
0: What we need is to be told that we're loved.
1: Yeah, just a really special story. Now, our final category, Artist of the Year. Another category, like Writer of the Year, that was incredibly difficult to decide on. Like, who represents 2021 better than anyone else? And I don't think that's really the question. I think who is the artist that contributed something that I've never seen before. And for us, it's somebody that we have recently mentioned on this podcast. It's Bilquis Evely and Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow.
0: It's just so tremendously imaginative. Like I feel like she is using the cosmos as an opportunity to show her complete range Mm. where you go to Um, The beginning of the book with Ruthie and Krem, and it feels like medieval. It feels like, you know, like knights in shining armor. And then you go on to, like, the ship, and she's sitting next to this monster, and it looks like Star Wars. And and, Yeah.
1: It's a showpiece.
0: And everything is so delicate. Like, all of... Like, you really get the sense of her pencils. Everything is so specific mm-hmm. and small.
1: Confident.
0: And yet, yeah, so strong. Just the way that she portrays Supergirl, where she is delicate and, f- and feminine, and the way that her blonde hair just falls naturally around her face is like angelic, and yet yes. she's still so
6: tough.
1: Angelic, that's the word I gravitate towards. The work is so cosmic and otherworldly. There is a sense of uh, religiosity to it, right? There's a touch of the divine in this story. And it's so important for this saga of service, this story of Supergirl giving everything of herself to everyone else. Uh, and, you know, like I say, it's, it's like something we've never seen before, but there is an illustrative quali- quality, a painterly quality to it. You could see these hanging in the Louvre. I don't want to be like too highfalutin, but yes, I do. Like it feels like a Renaissance painting told sequentially.
0: And there are like it. there are references to art pieces. There
1: are yes. You actually just passed the reference to Edward Harper's Nighthawks diner, right? So like, there's a touch of Edward Hopper in this book. There's a touch of manga. You can see some European comics influences here. Uh, it's 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 a feast,
0: completed by Matthias. Lopez's colors. Of course. The beautiful jewel tones. Is this, like, I don't know enough about art. I can never know enough about art. But everything feels so translucent
1: and luminous. And luminous. Uh, Like the the issue, what is it, issue six, where Supergirl hops on Comet and outruns the magical orb. Mm -hmm. And that one panel where Comet and Supergirl are atop the blazing sun and just the infinite range of oranges and reds and pinks and purples in that sun. Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, frame that, frame (laughs) this panel, frame this cover. Also just the way that DC Comics is publishing these books in these prestige format comics, it just does a world of service for the art itself, Um, you know, Make it into a blanket. I'll wrap myself in mm-hmm. it. It's, it's an all timer.
0: Yes, and it's not done. We've got two more issues. Yeah, and
1: they could crap <laughs> the bed, okay? <laughs> but I don't think they will.
0: I'm feeling pretty confident. I'm about
1: super this confident. Yeah, uh, and that's gonna wrap it up, Lisa. Wait. What? What?
0: Best basketball comic of 2021.
1: Let's hear it. Old head. Old head. Kyle Starks. Okay, so this is another one of those comics that's deceptive, Mm -hmm. right? Like the art is very, you know, I I hate to use the word simplistic. It's the cartooning. It's it's cartooning forward and is very silly, but...
0: His action is so good. Like you... Like, you can perfectly follow everything. There is so much detail and richness in his panels.
1: The expressions, the emotion on his characters' faces.
0: And he is like the Tom King of being lewd. Because (laughs) he's another one where he has put way more thought into every decision that goes into every panel, that goes into every word, that goes into every character's name than any individual can truly recognize
1: yeah yeah and you know you get done with that comic and you are weeping like you're you're laughing the whole way and it ends with a joke that i mean i I, don't spoil it brad don't spoil it It's so obvious, but so not obvious. And then when he drops that joke, oh, it's beautiful. And you're laughing, and then you are just... Demolished.
0: I think that if we ever do like a month of like father-daughter relationships, yeah. this book would have to be in. There. Yeah,
1: yeah. There, there's a lot to talk about with Old Head, and I have not seen enough of you guys out there reading Old Head. I need you to be reading Old Head, and in that spirit, the comic I want to highlight mm-hmm. uh, is a, a Scholastic graphics book, and it's. The Dragon Path from Ethan Young. Also great. This is a comic that when people ask me like, oh Brad, what's something cool and exciting that's out right now that maybe I haven't heard of, I throw them Dragon Path. Um, like John and the Impossible Monsters, it's an all, all ages book. You can give this to your nibbling. You can give this to your sibling. You can give this to your mom and dad. You can give this to your best friend. I think they will be open to it and there is something in this story that we can all pull from.
0: It's a it's a message book. It is a morality tale, but it's also really exciting. The art is amazing. Yeah,
1: Ethan Young, um, I I owe Chris Samney's Twitter feed mm-hmm. uh, for my discovery of Ethan Young because he was tweeting out images of the Dragon Path and I was like, oh, this looks like, is this a cover artist for Firepower? Like, what's going on here? Then I was like, oh no, Dragon Path? I guess I gotta check this book out. I bought that book. I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's a great action comic, awesome wushu, awesome kung fu. And then, oh, there's all these other Ethan Young books I can read, Space Bear, Oh my God, Space Bear is wordless and it will also leave you a puddle by the end of it. And um, his Nanjing book and his uh, autobiography, Life in Pictures. Ethan Young is like my discovery of 2021. Go out and get the Dragon Path. Go out and get any Ethan Young comic.
0: 2021 has been so good to the comics fan. We have so much to read from this year and lucky for us, 2022 was canceled. They're like, we don't, let's give a a moment (laughs) so that everybody can read and catch up on all of these beautiful books.
1: Oh man, I would love a year off just to read comics. And I think when we got done with that magical year, we still would not have read all the comics that came out in 2021 of quality. Uh, It was an astonishing year. I want to keep on making up categories to keep talking about comics, but I guess we need to end this end of the year episode at the beginning of our year Uh, it's time to go guys
0: but we can't without thanking our wonderful guests one more time I feel closer to each of you having you share your favorite stories with us and I urge everyone listening everyone within the sound of my voice follow these people visit these websites listen to these podcasts there is so much to say about comics. And all of these people are really out there celebrating every day.
1: Links in the show notes. Do what Lisa just said. Share these as well. Like 2022, that's what we're doing. We're sharing more voices. We're celebrating more voices. We're championing each other.
0: You are special. I love you. And I am so proud of you. Brad where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you?
1: Is it that time already? I know. You can find me on all social medias at mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon. Where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes.
1: Sandman, issue by issue, 75 issues, 75 episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast, at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at cbccpodcast.
0: You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, ooh, and Spotify. And if you'd like to do an active service, Why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod.
1: My friends, we worked really hard in this episode. If you liked it at all, words of affirmation, please. (laughs) But until next time, keep your love tank full.
0: And your psychic rapport open. I'm very needy. (laughs) I get it.
1: Get Elliot Dixon (laughs) on the phone right now. I just twisted my back in a really painful way.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry.